On the lush peninsula of Gallipoli and Turkey, a large hill called Chunuk Bear towers over the surrounding landscape. At the very top lies a massive white monument, and below it are white walls lined with thousands of names. Names of fathers, husbands, and sons. This monument was built to never forget the brave and patriotic soldiers who died during the Gallipoli campaign during World War I. For American listeners, there's not much taught about the Gallipoli campaign. In our schools, it's a blip on the World War I radar. So, for listeners who might not know much about the topic, I'm going to do my best to give a brief overview of this campaign. Gallipoli started out as a pure naval assault into the Dardanelles to penetrate the heart of the Ottoman Empire. The Dardanelles are straits which guard Istanbul from invaders from the west. It was particularly lucrative to the British because it knocked the Ottoman Empire out of the war, established trade lines with Russia, who was on the brink of collapse, and it was seen as a low-cost venture. And I say low-cost because the British had what I like to call their racism glasses on. Through those lenses, the Ottomans were weak and feeble. Against the might of the British Empire, the British thought they would just fold quickly and barely put up any fight. All of which was horribly false. And the British would learn that lesson when they attempted to sail their ships down the straits, but were met with fierce resistance from the artillery on the cliffs and the mines lurking in the water. Eventually, they recognized that a pure naval assault would never work. So instead of walking away from the poker table with a few losses, they decided to go all in with an amphibious assault on the peninsula. Again, with their racism glasses on, they thought on land the Ottomans would surely fold quickly. And again, they were horribly wrong. The fighting on Gallipoli was uniquely bad compared to the Western Front, where the Western Front had its own horrors of mud, crater cesspools with floating body parts, and battlefronts that could be smelled from miles away. Gallipoli's trademarks were the horrors of an amphibious assault, snipers lurking in the hills waiting to shoot anything that moved, and lots and lots of insects. The accounts of the amount of flies are horrifying. The warm climate mixed with rotting bodies produce millions of flies. Soldiers recorded that their biscuits and jam were black with flies, and one could not eat or drink without swallowing them, all of which perpetuated diseases. However, one similarity to the Western Front was the high command's tendency to throw lives away with no problem. Gallipoli was riddled with bad leadership, who sometimes didn't seem like they had a grip with reality. Eventually, reality would hit them hard, and they would realize they needed to withdraw from Gallipoli. So essentially, the amphibious assault idea led to needless slaughter, which was paid for in huge amounts of casualties. And while Britain, Ireland, France, India, and Newfoundland all sacrificed their brave soldiers on the shores of Gallipoli, two countries... Australia and New Zealand hold their soldiers of Gallipoli in a very special place. To Australia and New Zealand, Gallipoli was a national tragedy. 
a tragedy where the country's finest men were sent halfway across the world to be slaughtered. A tragedy that was largely due to lack of leadership and reality in higher command. For Australia and New Zealand, whose militaries were small but proud, their losses were unbearable. So the soldiers' names who appear on those white walls at Chunuk Bear are revered. They are heroes who are never to be forgotten. Heroes who went through one of the worst campaigns in military history. And one of those soldiers' names was William Malone. Malone was a rare example of a leader with a head on his shoulders. He deeply cared about his men, led them from the front, and gave them confidence. He was one of New Zealand's finest. So, without further ado, let's dive into William Malone. Episode 11, A Hero of Gallipoli. William Malone was a badass. There's no other way to put it. Before the outbreak of World War I, Malone had served in the New Zealand military, earning himself the rank of Lieutenant Colonel of the 4th Battalion of Wellington Taranaki Rifle Volunteers. In addition, when clouds of war engulfed the world in the early 1900s, Malone started to prepare himself. He started studying military texts and best practices. And after he was done studying, he put himself through an intense physical fitness regimen to get him in fighting shape. Lastly, he wouldn't even allow himself to sleep on a regular bed, opting for a military camp bed instead. While all this seems a little crazy that war hadn't even broken out yet, and this guy was over here doing war drills all by himself, the craziest part of it all was that he was in his 50s at the time. Regardless, when war finally broke out in 1914, Malone signed up for the New Zealand Volunteer Force and was made the commander of the Wellington Infantry Battalion. And as commander, all his preparation would pay off. At first, his men hated him. But like a good parent, he was strict and disciplined his men because he knew of the hardship that laid before them. However, once he landed on the shores of Gallipoli, Malone must have been horrified. There's absolutely no organization or discipline in sight. He saw men, supplies, all scattered around with no rhyme or reason. He knew that while for now it might have been fine, this type of disorganized attitude would spell trouble. That trouble came when Australian soldiers swept down the harsh ridges of Gallipoli calling for reinforcements. The general there ordered Malone to go, so he sent two companies, the Wellington West Coast and Hawke's Bay, to the top of the ridge. At the top of the ridge, they were ordered to go into a dense jungle. So on ahead they went, dodging Turkish lead from their well-entrenched positions, until they could go no more. And there, they had to dig in and fight for their lives against the Turkish mass behind the walls of green. While his men were in a fight for their lives, Malone continued up the ridge slowly until he found some of the Australians who were calling for reinforcements in Trench, which Malone found odd. 
So he decided to find the man in charge and get to the bottom of why someone was calling for reinforcements. The man he found was Colonel Brond. To Malone's horror, Brond had no plan besides sending Malone's men into the meat grinder of the jungle. Malone thought the situation was absolute murder. Nevertheless, Brond insisted that more men plunge into the jungle to be sacrificed to the vengeful Turks. When Brond's men protested, he pulled senior rank until Malone convinced him to stop the murder. Malone was beginning to learn an important lesson. As the leader of his men, he could not trust others to put him and his men in the best position. He would have to stand up and fight to ensure that they had the best fighting chance. Yet again, Braun started asking for more reinforcements, to which this time Malone firmly said no, which was a very smart choice for Malone, since when he asked Braun why he needed more reinforcements, Braun said that he was worried that if he didn't continue to push, his men would run away. To which Malone said, quote, that was no reason to sacrifice my men. End quote. When Braun finally fell back, Malone's two companies that were sent into the meat grinder returned. According to Malone, in the first hour, they had lost close to 45 men with 150 wounded, all due to Braun's disorganization. This lesson must have been hard for Malone to learn. He deeply cared about his men. In his diary, he constantly describes them as wonderful and how the world never saw better men or braver. Never again would he let them be slaughtered for another man's incompetency. In addition, Malone didn't hesitate to write about the difference between his New Zealand men and those pesky Australians. As a diehard New Zealander, he held nothing back. It's a good thing they didn't have Twitter back then. Malone wrote in his diary, quote, There is no question but that the New Zealander is a long, long way better soldier of the two. The Australian is a dashing chap, but he is not steadfast, and he will not or would not dig. He came here to kill, not to dig, and consequently we have suffered. There are lots of good men and good officers among them, but they are not disciplined or trained like our men. The New Zealander is a long way better soldier, more steadfast, better disciplined, and a worker. End quote. In a final, devastating dig at the Australians, one which their pride still probably hasn't recovered from, Malone said, quote, I don't like the average Australian a bit. In fact, I dislike him. End quote. One wonders how much Malone's experience with Colonel Brond shaped his perception of Australians at Gallipoli. As a leader, Malone knew he had to set a good example for his men. He knew that they would fight harder and bear more hardship if he seemed unfazed by the horrors around him. But in his old age, Malone was worried that he had lost his nerve, that when the horrors of battle came, he would flinch. But he would not. Because shortly after landing, while doing some recon, a bullet gave him a literal haircut. In his diary, he wrote, Last night, I had a close call. 
I was reconning with General Walker, and the snipers were trying to get at us. At last, a bullet just cut my hair on the back of my neck, and goodness knows it's short enough. Still, it wanted cutting. So this morning, I had one of my orderlies finish the job. I am glad to say my nerve is quite all right. I have had and have no inclination to duck, which I thought everyone had. Any amount of good men about to do so at every nearest burst. End quote. Malone was not afraid and hoped to instill that same attitude of courage through his actions rather than sitting in his headquarters telling his men to be brave and to stand up in the face of sniper bullets. After that harrowing encounter, Malone and his battalion were placed at Quinn's post. What he found there was an unorganized mess with tired and terrified men. In his diary, he wrote, quote, There's an awful lot of work to do. Such a dirty, precipitated, unorganized post. Still, I like the work and will revel in straightening things up. End quote. This was the perfect place for Malone to be in charge. He quickly set about ensuring that no corners were cut when digging trenches and fortifying the positions. More importantly, he ensured that no corners are cut when restoring his men's morale. For every shot the Turks took, he ordered that his men return to what initially Malone described as a few light holes in the ground with men scattered everywhere soon turned into a fortress. Malone bragged in his diary that now they could sheet the entire Turkish hillside with 200 rifles in less than a minute. That there were well-placed machine guns where 50 riflemen were once. And more importantly, the Turks in front of them were now in disarray, and their trenches starting to crumble and be abandoned. Malone thought that this post was the absolute best defense and the safest. More importantly though, Malone wrote in his diary that his men were inspired with the conviction that they have the superiority over the Turks and are finally getting a fair run for their lives. Through preparation and methodically tackling these problems, Malone had transformed this post from a rabble into a fortress, and his men from feeling like they didn't stand a chance to feeling superior to the Turks. Malone equipped his men with the tools to succeed. Soon, though, Malone's patience would be tested again when his superior demanded an assault on Chonik Bear, a well-defended Turkish position without artillery support. Malone could sense that his superior was trying to murder his men just like Brand was. In a brave move, he stood up for them, saying that they would not assault it in daylight and needed darkness. And just as he stood up for his men, an order came saying that all offensive operations were to be ceased for the time being. In a brave move, Malone had just saved his men from the slaughterhouse. When daylight came, though, Malone and his men had a heavy task in front of them. Take and hold Chunuk Bear. Chunuk Bear today is a lush green hill. But in 1915, the green was torn up and replaced with dark sand-crusted earth and stone. In some places, there were trenches, and others, small ridges to guard men. Malone and his men charged the summit. The fighting was hard. Lifeless bodies lined the hill. Yet, they had to take the summit. Up and up they went, 
constantly being attacked by the waspy bullets until they captured the trenches at the top. Now, the hardest part came, the Turkish counterattacks. Here, we truly see him alone setting the example for his men. He was the soul of the defense. Thousands of Turks poured up the hill. His men thought he was the bravest man they'd ever seen. They said he was everywhere encouraging his troops in the face of enemy fire to inspire them to hold the hill. In fact, he would even use a shovel to beat back the Turks when things got dire. Without Malone inspiring his men through setting the example, who knows what would have happened that day. However, for all Malone's heroism, not even that could save him from the fog of war. Because after a friendly artillery barrage, Malone, thinking that the barrage had passed, stood up to be killed by practically the last shell. In the end, Malone was murdered by the disorganization that haunted him when he landed. When all was said as done, Malone and almost his entire battalion had died on Chonic Bear. Today, their names are engraved on those white walls on Chonic Bear to be forever remembered as heroes. Even though Malone had such a tragic death, there are still some lessons to be learned from the way he led. From the start, Malone knew the importance of preparing his men. Even though his men didn't enjoy it, the strict discipline he instilled in them prepared them for the hardship of war. In addition, at Quinn's post, the discipline in creating that fortress finally gave the men of Gallipoli confidence in what they felt like a fair fight for their lives. As a leader, Malone took the time to ensure his men were equipped to take on any challenge. That discipline was also a sign about how much he cared about his men's well-being. He cared about their lives so much that he would stand up to superiors when ordered to do suicide missions, and his men respected him for that. Lastly, Malone constantly set the example for how he wanted his men to act, from having the courage to not flinch when his neck was grazed by a bullet, to viciously defending Chonic Bear with a shovel. Malone set an example for all his men to follow. In all, Malone was a great leader because of his ability to prepare, care, and set the example for his men. <laughs>